This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Music. Horror. Supposedly Thomas Svetovich, author of Tomorrow and Tomorrow, who will be here shortly, will show up behind you when you say his name five times. Unfortunately, he's not behind me. No, she shaking her head now. Um, so apparently, I just let loose Tony Todd with a hooked hand somewhere in my house. Um. Moving on here. So, we're going to hear from uh, Thomas Wedelich in a little bit. And also, we got some songs here. Jim Simonic, you're going to get uh, definitely their version of Butterfly Wings. Uh, you might remember a band, Machines of Love and Grace. Fantastic band. And definitely something off of the Electric Saviors 2. Uh, pick this up if you can. Uh, the third one is now available. It's a collection of industrial music uh, for a good cause to fight cancer and Jim Simonic is behind that but we're going to hear Reinforced first which is Jim Simonic's band and uh, we're going to get right into this I also have an announcement here uh, 
let's see here. Jacob O'Mulliken, the director and one of the stars of Meltdown, also starring Alicia Marie, who was on here the last episode. If you guys did listen, it was fantastic to have her on. Uh, let's see, Meltdown will be having a screening November 1st, 9 o'clock, at the Row House Cinema in Lawrenceville. And this is a zombie movie, unlike you haven't seen before. Uh, it's a little different. Uh, it's definitely a comedy as well. And it's well put together. He also has, uh, he wanted me to let you know, there's 11 days left to raise money for fests. He's trying to get some things together here. He has an Indiegogo uh, page going. Um, the link will be on my page for that as well. That's Jacob O'Melican for uh, the movie Meltdown. Check it out. And let's see. I guess we'll get into this right now. Uh, coming up, Thomas Swetterlich. Hey, this is Jim of Distortion Productions, Electronic Saviors and Reinforced, that you are listening to Kettle Whistle Radio. Yeah. 
sweater lich. Okay. Like Mr. Rogers' sweater. All right. Welcome to Kettle Whistle Radio. This is Dave. You know who I am. Um, I don't. Th- there was a nasty storm coming in today. I got to say, and if it hit the house and took my house out today, there'd be one less good rider. Because I'm here with Thomas Sweaterlich. Sweaterlich. What it sounds like? What Thomas? Sweater like Mister Rogers' sweater and Lich like an undead wizard. This guy is a new <laughs> idol of mine. I had to roll over your joke there. I'm sorry, but right. tomorrow and tomorrow is the book. Fantastic. Okay, um, I I got my copy. I read it. I guess I read it in July, and I've been waiting to do this show with you for quite some time. Um, just honored to have you you here with us. And uh, we're going to be getting a call here in a little bit from uh, the guy that introduced us, uh, public. Uh, Publishing professional Paul Wargelin. That's a hard one to say too. Yeah. Wargelin. Wargelin. War- yeah, he, he. By the way, never call him Wargelin <laughs> because every teacher we had called him that. Oh boy, let me tell you, not a happy guy. Not a happy guy. But I, I want to welcome you to these airwaves. I guess you're not really a stranger to these airwaves. You've uh, you tortured yourself by listening to a few shows. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, tomorrow and tomorrow. The, the only way I can summarize it for myself when I explain it to other people: um, a murder mystery hidden in a rich love story told in a Blade Runner environment haunted by overindulging social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and that, to me, is in a nutshell. Now, I'd love to hear how you're going to explain your book, like, in a nutshell. Can you do that? Oh, geez. I think you just did it. Um, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, I always say it's a sort of a near-future mystery, I think, is that's the that's the most nutshell that I can uh, boil it down to. Uh, but yeah, there's, uh, it takes, t- takes place 10 years after, uh, Pittsburgh has been destroyed by a nuclear weapon. And, uh, the main character is a survivor of that, uh, that atrocity. And he lost his, uh, his wife, he lost his unborn child. Um, but he's able to sort of obsessively relive his memories of the past by visiting something called the Archive, which is a fully immersive digital reconstruction of Pittsburgh. And uh, the, the mystery sort of takes place within this digital environment. And yeah, and it's so vivid. People walk around with avatars on uh, as if they were in a video game of their life. And there they are. I guess they appear how they want to appear to others, but they're not actually wearing this thing. It's just how you see them. That's right. right? Just I'm not a real big gamer, so the word avatar means something completely different to me. But I, I did play in the early 2000s. But, um, so now we're talking about like living in Facebook kind of, because you're surrounded by the banners, the streaming is just happening, moving all around you. And it just, it, it's, it's intoxicating to read because I just like, you don't know what's real and what's not until you, the guy, Dominic, mm-hmm. you see his point of view and his, his point of view is kind of, um, skewed because yeah. he's lost in his tomorrow with his dead wife. Which is not a spoiler, as you said, she's dead in the very first few pages, and along with most of Pittsburgh. <laughs> and and it, it, you take, and it's up to him. And now, how do you explain his job? I want to say he's a really bad detective, um, bumbling detective, funny, makes a lot of mistakes. And you just like there are times I'm like, oh my god, don't say that to that person. Why did you say that? How could you give that away to her? Now she knows what you're thinking. He's not a good detective, but he was like a, an investigator, like an insurance investigative. Uh, he was hired to investigate deaths to make sure that they really did die in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. which was a real issue in nine eleven, actually. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, <clears throat> I was wondering about that. Yeah, the, I mean, sort of that comes into play. The, uh, uh, by the way, I just need to point out in oh. case you, 
where you record this show is this incredible room in his house, David's house. He called it his man cave, but it looks like, you know, the comic dungeon from The Simpsons. There's tons of toys everywhere. It's amazing. Star Wars, very Star Wars heavy right now. Yeah, right now. Lord of the Rings, monster memorabilia, lots of anime, too. You have to look for it. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's Akira. I see Akira DVD right now. I'm glad you're impressed. Uh, I, I yeah, am this impressed. Is, this is cool. This is, you know, this just, is, um, it's <laughs> actually. here looking at everything for a couple hours. Helm's Deep headquarters is what we call it. <laughs> uh, you were in Helm's Deep down below. That That's the basement, yes. yes. Yeah. That's where things kind of converge. Terrible things happened to me when I was in Helm's Deep. <laughs> Oh, lots of people have that story. You know, I'll say um, one out of 20 that come here have a terrible time. But they walk out. Heart dragged out. Yeah. <laughs> That's I'm, a true story. I'm <laughs> hoping to walk out. No, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. But I, again, now... Uh, but yeah, so we were talking about the, the detective aspect. Um, his full name is Dominic... Um, yeah, John, John Dominic Blackston right. is uh, his full name. He goes by Dominic. Um, yeah, he works for basically sort of an independent company that works with uh, insurance agencies... Uh, investigating uh, what we might as well call cold cases, so just really trying to pinpoint exactly how people died uh, because the insurance um, industry doesn't want to pay pay out um, unless they they have to. Uh, so that's kind of his job, and he, he's investigating one of these deaths when he finds uh, some suspicious, uh, you know, reprogramming around the, the digitized crime scene, and uh, that sort of leads him on to this uh, this mystery. Um, yeah, I was thinking, uh, have you ever seen the movie Double Indemnity? I actually did not. Okay, no, no. so it's actually. a classic uh, film noir movie, and the uh, the characters there all, are all involved uh, in the insurance industry. And, uh, in fact, the, the main character is trying to figure out uh, how he can get uh, this double payment based on you know, faking faking a death, and then the person pursuing him is also someone who works in the ins- insurance industry. And I thought that was uh, – I'm always kind of looking out for people's professions – that they would be um, essentially investigating crimes, but as long as they're not police officers necessarily, like um, an, an appraiser or you know, yeah. big time, because they yeah. they gotta go see the house and they're walking in these places. Sometimes there's nothing but squatters living there, and, and uh, I, I will say I, I I worked with appraisal reports, and sometimes you get uh, blood on the wall or a death in the house, sure, things sure. like that, and you gotta wonder what the appraiser knew, or not just appraisers, but you know, salespeople, and yeah, banks. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, people people involved in answering questions as part of their profession. Um, it's not that I don't want to write a mystery involving police officers. In fact, the the book I'm writing right now has a federal agent. But um, a lot of a lot of things I, I like to do the the police detective genre is so it's its own thing, and uh, so I'm always looking ways to kind of tiptoe around that where I can. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's yeah. how the insurance. I like that. Agent no, came in. That's really cool. No, because yeah, because then you make it your own. You don't have to necessarily like follow the procedure. Yeah, just, yeah. There's a lot of pressure if you're going to write about police to to really get that culture right. And, yes. Uh, sometimes you just want to tell the the yes. mystery story and avoiding the actual culture too. Because I mean, there's a lot of corruption too. You maybe you know, make oh, corruption yeah. your own, and you stay a little bit. It's safer. Like James Elroy, <laughs> but you know he makes this like great career out of investigating that world. But uh, you know that's you know he's he's into it. He's into it deep. So um, that's that's you know. How long was the story like in your head and? How many times did it change? Like, you were going one direction, and um, you know, maybe he's not obsessed with his wife, or was he always obsessed with his wife's death? Yeah, yeah, he that that part remained intact. So, so this book took two and a half years to write. Uh, it started off as a short story, and the short story came about because uh, my wife and I um, took our honeymoon in Prague, and several years later, I was working on some short stories one Sunday morning, and I came across the walking map that we had used. 
and I was, you know, kind of tracing out where we'd been, looking at the different street names, matching it up with some photographs that we'd taken. And the thought occurred to me that this might be the only way I ever sort of experienced Prague again is through this map. And so that sparked an idea for a short story about a, a man in Prague who can only visit his memories of a city, which was Pittsburgh, uh, through an interactive map. So, Fantastic. No, I, that that's great. I was gonna, that, one of yeah. the questions I have. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a call here from the abyss. Um, I guess I should get this. I mean, we were expecting uh, somebody to call here. Give me a second here. Uh, I think we got somebody on the line right now. Uh, we're here with Thomas Swedelich right now. And uh, who was on the phone? Hey, 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 Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you fellows doing tonight? Uh, well, yeah. pretty good. You sound loud and clear. Very nice. Uh, Skype uh, took a crap on us, and actually my phone's working a hell of a lot better right now. So it's commonplace on uh, the show. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But so what brings you here? <laughs> well, I, I thought I was invited. Unless yeah, of course you were. <laughs> of course you were. So, so why are you calling? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hey, oh, funny, you, uh, you know, me? I gotta tell you, Paul, a funny thing happened to me uh, on my way to the Comic Con this year. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at my table, I'm, I'm at my table, um, and, uh, this guy comes up, introduces himself, and actually knows who I am. That, first of all, that doesn't happen too often. And, uh, he, he actually purchased, uh, books from me, too, and his name was Thomas Swedelich. And, uh, I was just, I recognized him initially uh, from the book jacket. When he, and then when he said, of course he said who he was, but, but yeah, so he came to visit, and, uh, here we are now, and he, it ends up he lives not too far away. Yeah. That is awesome. Hey, Thomas, good to talk to you again. Yeah, I was just telling David that we met uh, for a little bit. Yeah, we had a good time <laughs> up in New York, so it was nice talking yeah. with you also. I'm actually wearing the same clothes. Yeah. I realize I'm wearing the same clothes that I was wearing when I met you, so this is the continuity is incredible right now. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do something about your wardrobe, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I own three shirts and two pairs of pants, so it's a... <laughs> Yeah. So, so Paul, we were talking. Uh, well, we we got to the premise of tomorrow and tomorrow. But what? I mean, you. Uh, it's rare that you throw a book at me and say you have to read this. And last time, I might say it was ten years ago. <laughs> that's that's probably accurate. Scary, but accurate. Yeah. Um, I think when uh, when I got the opportunity to read Thomas's book in galley form, it just. Uh, my coworker said, this is completely up your alley. And I was just absolutely blown away. And as uh, Thomas knows, I was telling everybody how much I absolutely loved this book. I mean, it's just, it tells so much about what's going on today in society. Uh, definitely commenting on the human condition in regards to how we're dealing with social media and current technology and, and where that technology is going to take us tomorrow, you know, and, and not even a couple, you know, years from now, I, I can see this happening weeks from now. Yeah, you're not kidding. That's right. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to ask him to explain his the adware. I, I, my greatest comparison, I'd say, uh, well, as far as books that I love, um, adware versus the still suit from Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, very different animal entirely, but this is just implanted in your brain. Yeah. Uh, you want to, can you just like go over the adware real quick? I, uh, yeah. Well, Paul, first of all, thank you for the, actually, uh, Paul wrote something about my book that I, oh. that was passed along to me and it was humbling what he said and it was very exciting because that was, Paul, I think you might have been the first person outside of 
you know, people that I know well who had read the book and commented on it. So that was, that was very encouraging to hear that you liked it so much. Um, so it came oh, at a great time. I, I, I had not realized that. Um, and as I said, I welcomed the opportunity and it was, uh, again, Fantastic work. But Adware, please thank continue. You. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, adware. That um so basically the uh um many characters in this sort of near future have chosen to have uh kind of wetware implants that uh for lack of a better term beams the internet directly into their brains, uh in, into their consciousness. Um the uh it's it's funny you <laughs> you mentioned about it being a near future i think when the book was in galleys when i was just kind of waiting for it to come out that's when a lot of the hype about google google glass started happening and i was really thinking to myself like wow this this book started off as science fiction but it's going to be historical fiction in a few, in a few months you're not um, kidding yeah you're this kind kidding. of thing like really happening um but yeah I, you know i'm i'm a guy i i don't know if i really believe in the in the futurism of having that sort of implant on a on a wide scale uh, variety, but I wanted that sort of body horror metaphor, right? Where the where the where the internet, the imagery, the sort of echo chamber is just always with you, um, as a part of your body. What you breathe, what you, it influences, what you think, what you see. Um, so I wanted that that immediacy there um, in terms of the book. I um I pictured it. I don't know, Paul. I don't know if you did too, but certain elements, especially uh, some of the darker uh, city streets. I was I, I kept picturing Blade Runner. I don't know why. Maybe I just always fall back on that one. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely has uh, Blade Runner as well as, as Philip K. Dick in his purest form outside the films. Um, just that feeling of encroaching technology that is intruding upon our lives uh, to such an extent that, you know, we're embracing it in in a way because we're addicted to it and we're getting used to it. Um on an interesting parallel, I saw a news item today that uh, uh, Bono of U2 has been apologizing because the U2, the latest U2 album, was just immediately uploaded to everybody's iPhone <laughs> That's right. without even people requesting it. Oh, man. And so I think from Thomas's adware ideals, and I think this is a perfect example of what's going on. I mean, they're saying iPhone people didn't have a choice. And so when they kind of raised their anger about it, that's when they were like, okay, you know, we're not going to let something like this happen again. So on the one hand, it was this promotional idea, hey, we're just giving away something for free. But at the same time, it's intrusive. Yeah. You know, we put this thing on your phone without your permission. And it kind of reminds me of a few years ago when Amazon was uh, just pulling stuff right off the Kindle. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was 1984 that they uh, pulled off. Of, of all books, I think that it was 1984 yeah, that kind of... The absolute irony was <laughs> yeah. pulling... Oh, they knew what they were doing. They knew. Come Let, on. Let's hope they did, because that would be a genius stroke. Um, yeah, the uh, it's, it's funny because the... Uh, you know, people raising their anger over the intrusiveness of a free download almost just points out how much of, you know, our, for lack of a better term, freedom we've given away already in sort of a digital world because there, there's so much that uh, that just sort of flies under the radar in terms of uh, information being av- available out there and you know, companies tracking our habits, et cetera. And then, uh, then it takes this one U2 flash moment for uh, people to kind of 
say that crosses the line for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the biggest... I guess I guess the album wasn't very good. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, the biggest band in the world made the worst album ever. So yeah. Everybody's pissed. <laughs> that's right. That's. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Could you explain? I, I, I... I think Thomas is right. I mean, it's so funny that, you know, we're, we're, we're throwing out all of our personal information, you know, without even thinking about it and clicking like on things and, and clicking on articles, which all these computer algorithms are picking up, which is why if you're on Facebook and whatnot and you see those ads, you're like, oh, how strange. They know I like this, that, and the other thing. Well, yeah. of course they do because you've been clicking on these things and Yep. And it's been coming up, and that's why uh, those ads are specifically targeting you. Um, but I think in the end, like the whole Amazon Kindle situation, people are eventually going to forget and not care, and they're going to continue these habits anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, David, you also mentioned how, how this headwear thing kind of reminded you a bit of the still suits and, and uh yeah, a very different tune. level. This was all mental, where that was like you know biochemical, keeping them uh, in tune with their lives. Uh, this is keeping them uh, well. It's, you know, they're, I guess the, yeah, a little parallel there. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, I had video drone. We were talking earlier. That's yeah. an interesting because we were talking about video drone earlier. There's some parallels there. I didn't think about until he said it. But uh, when the adware well, takes over, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think what it also reminded me of, uh, especially when you brought up the suits, was that. Back in like 1969, 1970, Keith Townsend was essentially thinking about the internet, hmm. and he he had this concept album that was supposed to follow Tommy called Lifehouse, and what it was about was all these people were going to don life suits, and they were going to interact electronically. Because the world had been devastated, so it's this post-apocalyptic landscape. Rock is dead, which was, of course, you know, that old Long Live Rock song came from. And it was supposed to be the science fictional concept album about how everybody is living electronically. They're not speaking to each other in Hmm. person because the landscape has been devastated. And that music, as many rock bands that I ever seem to come up with, has been outlawed. And but meanwhile, in some of these uh, more rural areas, uh, there are still some farms existing. And, and the hero of the story, I think, finds an electric guitar, and you know, there's like this rock and roll revolution thing going on. But Townsend could not explain this concept back in '69, '70 to the rest of the Who. They all thought he was bonkers, <laughs> and they eventually just stripped whatever the best of the music he, Townsend had been writing, and they made the Who's next album. Oh. And all of that, all the songs that eventually were going to make up Lifehouse kind of trickled out for the rest of the Who's career in the, in the 70s. And Townsend himself has since written a book. He's done a radio play about it and um, even performed some concerts with a choir and, and uh, an orchestra specifically of the Lifehouse songs and, and the concepts. So you're talking songs like uh, Bob O'Reilly, known as Teenage Wasteland, yeah. Bargain, all the songs pretty much were who's next. But it's really interesting how Townsend thought about these ideas but couldn't articulate them. But yeah. in a way, he kind of predicted what was happening. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. well, we were just talking about that, too, um, along the same lines, how this book, to me, I would never... 
call it a horror novel. Thomas admitted to loving horror, but I would introduce it to my friends that love horror as a novel they should read. Because uh, there's, there's just so many undertones. And I'm going to point out something. Um, I don't want to say the character's name because I hate spoilers. Me and Paul never, I mean, we used to watch Robotech as kids and we'd watch it in the morning. One of us would watch and one wouldn't. We're like, don't tell me who died. And then, do you remember that, Paul? And then some idiot would say, hey, did you, hey, did you see Roy Fulker got blown up today? We're like, god damn it, I just want to get home and watch it on my VCR. But anyway, so no, no spoilers, but a, a certain female character dies, uh, horrifically. Um, and the world is able to see her before. Graduating, graduating school, um, then in some sexual, um, I want to say pretense, uh, playing with herself, and there's a bit of it, and and then her her death, meaning dismemberment, her body just strewn everywhere, and like how you explain like little like not little boys, but boys were able to like you know pleasure themselves looking at her while she was alive, and then there's her body, and it's all flashed in adware like and streaming, and here's this character's death that you're, you've grown to like halfway through the novel <laughs> and uh it's just like wow you get a whole life in a minute and it's and it's worth a penny the, yeah. the life is worth nothing it's horrific that was yeah. a horrific death <laughs> sort of, it, 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 it was boiled down to clickability in that, yes in that world. yeah, yeah. The cl- i call this the click and point generation yeah. and i mean that in the worst way possible because you click and get what you want and not necessarily what you want all the time, you know. We used to have to work for stuff like that. <laughs> not death so much, Paul. I meant I meant vinyl records. All right. Jeez. What do you what do you what were you saying, Paul? I cut you off. Oh, that, that, that's all right. I, I was going to say that, of course, you mentioned the horrific elements, and, and I, I think there's certainly psychological horror in the novel, and not just you know uh, what happens to one of the characters, but from what. The main character himself is going through. Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to hit on he, that. Yeah. He is tormented and and uh, and following this mystery, he basically goes down a rabbit hole where. Uh, and Thomas, obviously, you can correct me or <laughs> comment if you think I'm out of sorts here. But you know, <laughs> he, to me, he goes down a rabbit hole in both the online world and in the real world, trying to solve this mystery or trying to keep his own sanity. Yeah, and, and yeah. that was the poignancy for me reading this book. I could just, you know, it was so he's so well drawn and so well identifiable yes. to anybody who is who is lost, especially in the 21st century, especially when you're interacting with this technology. And like you said, it's a point and click generation. Yeah. And you know whether we're all suffering from ADD or we're just because we're just jumping from one thing to another, mm-hmm. and whether we're we're being desensitized from one moment to the next because we're being bombarded twenty four seven with all of this video and all this news and all of what they're calling news and trying to sort through it just on a daily basis is, is insane. Yeah. Yeah, this book came together, as I was writing, this book came together for me when I realized that the story I was telling wasn't the mystery story. The story that I was telling was the search for every character's grace. And, and they find grace in different ways. And it's, it's not necessarily a happy ending to the book, but they, they come through into a, 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 a part of grace is mm. what they're all looking for. Um, yeah, horror, horror fiction for me, that horror fiction, horror movies are by far the most influential kind of literature um on my writing and uh, yeah in, in this book there yeah the, the, what i wanted to do with the death scenes in particular 
and and this is a little bit different than what I see in a lot of horror fiction. Um, but I'm I'm okay with with doing death scenes. I'm okay with putting characters into terrible situations. The uh, the pact I make with myself though is that if I'm going to do something horrific, there has to be horrific real world consequences. Um, so I, I try not to have uh, just a lot of titillation in the horror scenes, but um, yeah, but just to make sure that they're they're meaningful when I do put the the horror elements in there. Sorry about that, Paul. We just had an interruption there. Um, no, I, 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 along the same lines with Dominic, um, the, the lead character, I, um, I immediately, uh, you feel this compassion for him. Um, just the fact that he's torturing himself, I, you know, dig, if you will, the picture. He is witnessing the death of his wife over and over and over. I mean, and he just cannot, and, and of course the unborn child, and um, he just can't get enough of it to the point where it becomes it becomes like a drug. Yeah. And it is a drug, and he's addicted. And if anybody anybody that has a woman in their life, or you know, if girls out there, or if you got a guy, um, and you can't imagine life without them, but then to the point where you're just going to watch their death over and witness it, and stand there, able to stand there and watch it over and over again. I don't think there's any worse addiction. Yeah. <laughs> or self torture. Go ahead, Paul. I, I was just going to say that I, I, I think, and, and that is what we're, we're, we're facing in the 21st century with everyone's ability to take a picture and a video at, at a second's notice. And, you know, prior to all of this, you know, we only had to rely on our memories. And as we know, memories alone could make you addicted and crazy. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this continuing looping evidence because let's face it as as time goes on we may remember things a certain way but that doesn't that's not exactly how it happened yeah because it's only it's our perspective yes that's affecting our memory and as age goes and you know whether it's time heals all wounds or whatever you want to call it we still remember things differently as time goes on now that we've got this evidence and this ability to record everything in pristine, three-dimensional surround sound, it's even that much more immediate. Your brain cannot gloss it over. It cannot forget it. It cannot compartmentalize it anymore. It is constantly there. And Dominic being obsessed with living that over and over again, I, I think... Uh, goes into um, probably a lot of what modern-day people are experiencing on the Internet when they go back and, and they're binge-watching programs mm-hmm. and they're, they're just fascinated with watching, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, a dog run into a wall over and over again on YouTube. <laughs> I love that video. Oh, I'm going to watch it right now, actually. That's... <laughs> well, actually, on the, on the break, on the break, uh, Thomas and I are going to watch that for 20 minutes, Paul, so we'll get back to you. Um, so hold that thought, but I, I, we are going to... And then follow that with the hour and a half of Futurama's Hypnotoad, where the thing just stares at you and blinks. Fantastic. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> well, we're gonna uh, gonna leave you for a second here uh, with this thought. I, I think Paul should play the part of Dominic um, in the movie version. I don't All know right. where you are with that. Everybody else out there uh, who knows who Gavril is, I think you pronounce it Gavril. Yeah. Uh, I, I want. We're gonna come back with Thomas's answer. I want to know who would play Gavril in the movie uh, version of his book. And we're also going to pick a song, Paul. This is the first time I'm gonna ask you that you can't pick the song this time. I know you've been on here several times. Um, the soundtrack to Tomorrow and Tomorrow would it be punk rock, metal, industrial, disco, rap? I got it all. So <laughs> you pick the song or pick the style, and I'm gonna play the song, and we'll get right back to you. Thanks for listening, folks, and uh, we'll be right back. striving to salvage some hope against a ravenous fashion of evil bent on ruling our world. Burning Ball Publishing presents The Fall of Tomorrow by David J. Fairhead. Available May 1st at Amazon.com and at BurningBallPublishing.com Another aspect that I can't see Another version of me Between all the lines you read Hidden carefully beneath the beat There lies defeat Delicately discreet
Thank you for waiting patiently. There was much discussion over the songs to play, and, uh, well, we played something. Now we're back. I'm here with <laughs> Thomas Sweaterlich and Paul Wardlin on the line, publisher extraordinaire, I should say. Well, you, you like publish, what is it, publishing professional Paul Wardlin? God, alliteration. How about we do that? Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, tumbleweeds. What? Where'd you go? Paul? Sorry, man, you're, you're fading in and out. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're plugging your book right now. <laughs> we, pl- we plugged your book, but go ahead and tell us where to get it. Oh, okay. It's called Twisted Tumbleweed Tales, and you can get it on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, or you can go straight to the Crossroad Press website and order directly from the publisher. Sweet. Awesome. Sweet. Now, what we're going to do right now, the author of Tomorrow and Tomorrow is going to read an excerpt that I picked that isn't necessarily the beginning of the book, but explains, the well, how the book begins. And uh, we'll just go with it from there. It'll give you a good depiction, a very good um, visual of the world that we're dealing with whenever you're ready. Okay, yeah. It looks like uh, this is a, a scene where one of the characters is describing her experience with the end of Pittsburgh. We left downtown... No more stops until the far side of the tunnel. An old woman in front of me was clicking her tongue for a child in front of her. Most people kept to themselves, looking out the windows or into the streams or at their cell phones. I remember riding across the Liberty Bridge, the Monongahela flowing beneath us like a ribbon of mud, the downtown skyline receding behind me. I remember Mount Washington looming like a great and expanding shadow. I remember plunging into the Liberty Tunnel, the smooth tube of concrete cutting through the mountain. The sunlight is cut off, replaced by an unnatural fluorescent glow. The taillights of cars are exceptionally bright. The sound is odd, a reverberation of wind and engines, like a cocoon of sound. The smell of motor oil and stale air. It's twilight here. It will always be twilight here. This is when the world ends. This is when a man opens his suitcase. I remember falling the mountain heaving, the bus flipped over, the metal screamed, the tunnel had collapsed and the sudden stop was padded by bodies, a jumble of bodies in the aisles and the seats, finding my face pressed against window glass, my neck bent. So many people died right then, most of us were dead. I don't know minutes from hours, the terrible pressure, the dark, movement against my shin. Someone else was alive, but the movement stopped blood rushing to my head, the pain intolerable, screams in the darkness, moaning like animals moaning, panicked, not like the sounds people make. A few who were alive turned on their cell phones and held them out like flashlights. There was room for us to, for some of us to move, a few of us who were unhurt, who started picking through the dead. I remember panicking then. It was the only moment I panicked, understanding that I was buried in dead people. I screamed, but my screams sounded distant, like I was underwater and listening, listening to someone else scream. I remember hands grabbing my legs and pulling me free. I remember screaming until a man's face appeared in the bluish-white glow of a cell phone and calmed me. Fantastic. Fant- Paul, did I pick the right excerpt or what? I think so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, me and Paul, well, Paul said it first, and then I, I had to finish the book to agree. Um, he just, I, I called you a wordsmith when I met you, 
And Paul's just like, reading his stuff kind of makes me a better writer. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> like, thank you. Yeah, you know, you raise the bar to, to, old, to, to two older guys that have been doing this since, what, we were nine years old? You raise the like you raise the bar again. I mean, to a point where I, I could never achieve some of the, what you come up with there. Um, it's just amazing. Here's something that Paul doesn't know, and I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, you must know. Okay. The character Mook is yeah. based on a real person. That's right. Sort of sort of loosely based. Loosely, there, yeah. Yeah, there was an infamous graffiti artist by that same name. And, real real yeah. thing, Paul. That happened in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he sort of achieved like a. Almost like a, a Robin Hood style celebrity for the years that he was active. He was always pulling off these crazy tags and eluding the police, and it became like this news story. Then I had followed it. I was really yeah, uh, it was an interesting. Story. Yeah, it was very interesting. And um, yeah, so that that name was I, I really wanted to kind of honor that time of Pittsburgh by uh, by naming a certain character that has that same kind of anarchic kind of feeling about him in the book. Um, otherwise, very very different character, you know. But uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely an homage to that. It uh, took me a while to put it together. I'm like, I know that name. I know that name. <laughs> I was, oh, news! What two two years ago? That's right. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. And he was an interesting guy, and he wasn't a dummy either. It wasn't just he was tagging for no good reason. Yeah. And the yeah, fact no. that he got busted, he was a dummy, but you know, still a legend <laughs> in his own time. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very fascinating, and there's still some of his uh, tags that you can find. Uh, there's one on the 10th Street Bridge, way high up, that uh, people can't. Or haven't yet, or can't clean off. Yeah, it's still it's still there. It'll, it'll last there probably for a long time. I, Paul wanted me to read this book too because of the local, um, just so much. Oh my god! Just the fact that you had a, a magazine or a publication called the New Yinzer. <laughs> That's right. Okay, now that uh, Paul, I don't know if you know that, but a Yinzer. I mean, how, can you explain well, Yinzer? Well, me, me and you are both not really from yeah, here. Yeah, we're not but, really Yinzer. But, well, the New Year, the Yinzer is a literary magazine. It's been around for a yeah, long time. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to you know put that in there. I, I like. I, I love writers who are writing uh, in small and independent presses and uh, just really making it happen. I love that. So I wanted to put um, as much of that as I could kind of uh, honoring of, of writing and literature in a city. So, um, but what a Yinzer is, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I guess you could call it sort of the Pittsburgh version of a local yokel. That's yeah. um, a certain, uh, certain uh, mindset, attitude, accent, the way people talk. I would do an impression, but I can't. I can't. No, I have a whole show accent. coming up on that, so don't worry okay, about so, it. Okay, yeah, good, yeah good. a couple so, of friends of mine did a movie called The Jagoff Massacre, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they make they got That's they perfect. did so well so well. There's a part two coming out, and they're all going to be here in here next week. You'll all get your dosage of what a yinzer really is, yeah. and they're very proud of that. I can't but, get my yeah. mouth around the axe. I've tried no, so hard, I, but I can't do you it. You do it by mistake. But <laughs> honestly, but you you assault uh, Pittsburghers here. I mean, with um, just local terms and terminology. I just um, and, and places. You you talk about and Paul was just like he knew I'd know some of these places, and I do. I mean, you talk about Phipps Conservatory, South Hills Galleria. Um, then there's boutiques in Mount Lebanon, which I know are there, but I've never I've I didn't frequent them. But um, <laughs> maybe no, I he's wearing. A Penguins T-shirt right now, so he definitely is not shopping in the the fancy boutique. Well, he used to be an Islander. That's the thing. But yeah, all right. So I, yeah, I only wear pen shirts that used to be Islanders, just so I got to keep the local flavor, keep people happy, you know. But um, as far as like uh, the local arts and uh, you coming of age as a writer, this like poetry, lots of poetry yeah. being. What's what's that about? Is that you? Is that your background? Just your love of poetry. Uh, Definitely my background. That was uh, so when I was. Had you met me, had you met me say when I was in high school, it would have been all horror fiction. Interesting. Had you met me in college, I was very very enthralled to modernism and poetry in particular. So, um, yeah, that's I, 
one of my majors in college was creative writing. I studied poetry, and once I graduated, uh, I was writing every day, but I was writing poetry. Um, the first novel I ever wrote, in fact, it's, you know, it's one of those novels you just put away in your drawer and never think of it again, but it's a zombie apocalypse in Pittsburgh, um, but it's told in 500 rhymed sonnets. So I was very, <laughs> very into the, like, poetry as a language and thinking about it, and uh, so yeah, that, I, I wanted, I wanted my character also have that, that sort of background. Um, I know Paul, he, he wants to read that right now. <laughs> I totally, I, I'm all set, just send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, I'll dig it out. It's it, it exists. I'm not I'm not faking it. Actually, it's about 487 sonnets. It's a yeah. Um, it took me seven years to write that, but I learned how to write a novel by doing that project. I learned I learned quite a bit. Oh um, yeah, it does take a, a skeleton and then you start forming it into something else. Happens a lot. Absolutely. Uh, um, Paul, what was the, to you the most I'd say horrific part, or or maybe your favorite part in the book? I, I know you'll you'll. I have a horrific part, and then I have a favorite part. I can't talk about everything because I don't want to give spoilers. But without giving too many spoilers, yeah, well, it, it's um, you know because it, it's it's actually been a while since I've read it. Um, that means more if it still I mean, stands it, out, though. Yeah, no, a lot of it definitely stands out. The whole, just just the whole, you know, and I don't mean to be cliche, but the whole package it's it's just such an amazing story. It's beautifully written. And I just, I think if anything stands out for me, it's that Dominic is, is such a three-dimensional human being, and I think anybody can relate to him, mm-hmm. regardless of, of gender, age, or what have you. I, do, I, I just think he is a fascinating and fantastic protagonist. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. I agree. Um, yeah, I I go with haunting with this because I, I asked Thomas when he was at the Comic Con, you know, what's your favorite kind of monster? Um, he, he had actually purchased a copy of my book, and I have every well, every, lots of different original monsters. I, I just wanted to find his personal favorite, and he told me ghosts, and that goes without saying because the most haunting scene, um, and I say scene because I see it in a movie, uh, was when um, well, Teresa's ghost. His wife is replaced by Albion, the character who, well, we don't want to say too much about, but kind of replaces Teresa in, in his heart or, I don't know, um, camaraderie, we'll say. And Albion and, and Dominic are retracing the steps that he used to take with his wife. And they're going on the bus trip. They're going to Cappy's. They're, they're hanging out together. And just like the fact that he's retracing this with another woman and she still feels the compassion and understands where he is with it. It's terribly haunting. And then they go, oh, and there was a scene, like, when they see, he, he says where Pittsburgh skyscrapers used to be. And you could see it, especially standing, I know exactly where they were standing. Yeah. And um, a lot of people wouldn't, was it Polish Hill? It was around that area, or they were coming down that way? Um, but, yeah, Pittsburghers will know. And just knowing that that was there, the place is radiated, you know, and they're wearing these suits, and uh, just just hor- horrendous. But haunting. That stayed with me. And it made me wonder. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I was going to say, and even though I don't know those specific areas, I can still relate to them because I can visualize other areas that mean something to me. Hmm. And and that's how well written it is because, you know, it's not just about the specifics of Pittsburgh, it could be anywhere. And so, you know, Thomas, you really captured people's memories and yeah. how people react and how they feel. Yeah. And that's why I say I think anybody can relate to Dominic. And, and David, I think you pointing out 
hard to write <laughs> that, that was that was incredible i was gonna ask you that yeah um I, I, I believe it and you know it because it comes across in the writing i i can only you know imagine how difficult that must have been to write but you succeed oh well, that's good i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad to hear there was a sense of uh, maybe on your part too that I don't know. For, for, like when I'm writing, something could be equally as lovely as it is horrific, and I like taking a beautiful place and making something terrible happen. Uh, let's let's say Jaws, the yeah. little Kintner kid. It's a beautiful summer day. I, I always quote this one, but um, yeah, just like you know, it's a beautiful summer. Everybody's enjoying the. There's a football. And, oh, the kid gets eaten by a shark. Yeah, but like you, I, 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 there's blood all over the place. You, you like there's a sense of longing. I don't know when you're writing it. Because uh, I overheard you talking to uh, Miss D earlier, my lovely assistant. Uh, uh, you and and your uh, she's the boss, by the way. I've I've met both of them. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know what's going now on. you know. <laughs> but yeah, but your significant other. Um, you said there was uh, you miss Pittsburgh or what was it you were saying about Pittsburgh? Something endearing. I, I just came in at the tail end of it. Oh, 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 yeah. When I was talking out there, well, right. Yeah. So I was I was explaining like why why we live in Pittsburgh, and uh, my wife and I met at in college, went to Carnegie Mellon, and. When we, you know, graduated, a lot of the people we knew were moving away uh, hmm. to pursue jobs, you know, but my wife's an artist. I was a, I don't know what I would call <laughs> I wanted to be a writer, so you, I, was, you bet, I was nothing. You better say her name or she's going to be upset. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so my wife, Sony, is an artist. You could, um, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I didn't have, we neither one of us had any job prospects or anything, so we didn't have any reason to leave, but... Um, we were discussing where we'd want to live and we realized that as we, we had been falling in love with each other, we were falling in love with the city. And so, um, we just, we just chose not to move away from these very important places to us that, that, you know, meant so much to our relationship. And, uh, so yeah, we've been here for almost 20 years now, about 17 years. Uh, same here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Same. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand. But so you just wanted to destroy Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um. That's right. <laughs> Well, you know, destroying a city—that's the love letter to the city. That's what we do these days in our, in our sort of, uh, you know, you know, flights of fancy. You know, there's no there's no better way to say I love you to a city than by unleashing hell upon it. There, there you go. I agree. <laughs> uh, of course, I do have a, a, a fa- uh, favorite funny moment uh, in a hotel room when Dominic he he has his chicken nuggets dinner in a hotel while watching Battlestar Galactica reruns. That's right. Big thumbs up. <laughs> Oh man, I, I was so happy. I was reading like late at night. I, I must have jumped out of bed like, yes, Battlestar Galactica. And he's not even talking about the new one. Although I, I love the new one, but it was the old one. Very important, folks. Chicken nuggets and Battlestar Galactica. That's the best. That's the best night you can imagine. Yeah, I, so. yeah, yeah I've had a few of those. I have. I'm not lying. I am not lying. <laughs> Comic Con, come on. <laughs> Beat that one, Paul, with your brown sugar. <laughs> Ooh, reference. Oh yeah, yeah. Brown sugar is that heroin? I'm just kidding. I, was that uh, a form of you know like yeah a- it's you know it's funny because it it was that's what I was thinking about yeah. it but a, a friend of mine asked what it was and we were talking about it, and he said that he he hoped it was just actually just brown sugar like in a Clockwork Orange and so Ooh, I was yeah. like you know what 
Yeah, it's like Clockwork Orange has milk. My book has brown sugar. I'm changing my answer. It's just brown sugar. <laughs> but, but yeah, originally, yeah, I was uh, sort of a, a cut form of a very hard drug. Well, Paul, I'm sure you've got a couple more for him here. You got anything else you want to hit on? Not that we won't have him back because he knows where I live. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, all I could say is for everyone out there listening to this, I hope we're entertaining you and uh, get Thomas's book. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, go out and get a copy and read it. And this is where you tell them where to get it. Take it. And, uh, well, as far as I know, it should be available everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. If you're in Pittsburgh, there's some good uh, good indie stores. Or otherwise, go to your Amazons and your Barnes & Nobles online and order it. Because it's a great read. I can't imagine anybody not liking this book. And, you know, it'll change the way you look at things. Yeah, I, I agree. People that like, um, uh, well, yeah, we'll go Blade Runner to Walking Dead. There's just something in there for everybody that likes sci-fi, horror, um, dramatic, but it's a thinking man's book. You know, this is a Star Trek more than a Star Wars. I hate to use that reference, but people use that all the time when they're thinking chess over video games. But anyway, that's another story entirely. I like, I like both. <laughs> I like both. But, um, yeah, I this, do too. Yeah. I do too. yeah, absolutely. But I mean, yeah, you go to, it's totally original. I can't really say too much more without ruining the book. So, but I got oh, there is a, a horrific moment too because I, I was when I was asking about the the uh, the ad adware, is it's like tubes and wires on the side of one side of the head basically. The one guy and I don't want to say the name rips them out. Yeah, and that that's that's how you get me. <laughs> you have me right there. I I mean ripping things out of bodies as far as like veins, whatever. But then just artificial material being pulled from the skull. Yeah, that is a horrific moment, and the guy survives that moment, and that's that's horrific, more horrific. Do you remember that part, Paul? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you're talking about now. It's coming yeah. back. Yeah, it's significant. <laughs> yeah, it becomes significant later. But yeah, that that's yeah. that's a horrific moment too. Yeah, you, you sneak the horror in, and I like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, what else we got, guys? I, I I'd love to ask Thomas what he has going on. I know he has something else coming out. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. There's no uh, there's no publication date yet for it, but I do have a second book uh, that is is being written right now. As a matter of fact, um, exciting. It's another it's another science fiction uh, mystery novel. Um, this one I would describe as a as a time travel mm-hmm. mystery, but it's it's also just very uh, character centric, like this this first one was. Yes. Um, and and actually, you're talking about ghost stories. It's it's also very haunted um, uh, in in the tone. So I, I think that. Um, if you've read the first one, you probably like the second one too. Um, but yeah, I'm still working on that. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was just looking through my story folder today. I have, I have like 60 ideas for short stories I want to write. So I, I'm chomping at the bit for the new year when I can start really Anthology. writing all these uh, short stories that I have in mind. There so, you go. Anthology um, time. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I'm wrapping one up right now. Very it's, cool. It's called Dwelling in the Dark and it should be coming out, I'm hoping, before the new year. Okay. We shall see. We shall see. But yes, the fall of tomorrow is still out there, folks. Not to be confused with tomorrow and tomorrow. Paul, is that? Are you trying to fool me? <laughs> is that why you wanted him to come in here? Our titles were close. No, but the fall of tomorrow—that's my first novel. It's out now. You can go to Fairly Dark Productions or Amazon.com or LJ's, which is now Rickard and Beagle Books. And um, I want to thank Thomas. And I want to thank Paul for coming on. If you guys have any closing comments, thank you for having me. <laughs> Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah, my assistants. My assistants refer to that as awkward silence, and it happens at the end 
of every episode, and that's why I always put the, uh, you'll hear the mu- music come in right away. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right, thanks, guys. Um, this was really fun. Hopefully, we'll do this again, and sooner than later. And, Paul, I know we're due for another show, too. So, All right. And tune in to a Jagoff Massacre coming up in about a week or two. Trust me, you're, you guys are going to want to listen to this one. Awesome. All right, and you could buy the movie too. Look, look up Jagoff Massacre. I think it's, I think it's pretty cheap. Uh, uh, I'm, buy it. It's fun. You can't, you won't go wrong. All right, Paul. Thanks again for calling in and Thomas Swetterlich. <laughs> he said, Swetterlich. See, he, I wasn't. I, I could not. He said, if you say his name um, five times in a row, he shows up behind you. Yeah, in the bathroom oh, mirror. Man, that's, that's like a Beetlejuice thing. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Wrong reference, man. Yeah, I'm going Bloody Mary on this one. Or Candyman. Or Candyman, yeah. Or Candyman, yes. <laughs> All right, folks, tuning out. Thank you. Folks, friends and fiends, thanks for tuning in. starting your own podcast do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world well now it's easier than ever with electricast hi i'm mark netter and i'm peter ravelson we're the founders of electricast media whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one join electricast to grow your audience monetize your content and build your community with our simple sign up you get free promotion world-class analytics premium ads and personal support go to electricast.com and join our community today Electricast, transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.